0: Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Welcome to our online viewers in Charleston and in Nashville and in Tulsa. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Um, Our church is called King's Church. We believe that God has called us to be kings and priests unto God, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. And this is a perfect verse that goes with it here in Romans chapter 5, 17. It says that we're called to reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. And our four kind of... Uh, axioms in reigning with Christ are, first, that we know the Word of God. If we don't know the Word of God, we get disoriented and lost. We don't know how to traverse through culture, these ideas that we get thrown at. We don't know if up is down or down and is up. We don't know how to define a woman, right, if we don't have the Word of God. We get lost. We don't know what to do. We get totally uh, just, uh, we're abandoned in the milieu of secularism. So we need the Word of God. We need the Spirit of God. We can't just have the Word of God. The Pharisees knew all the letter of the law. The Sadducees knew every single scripture and every single article and adjective of the Old Testament, and they were far from the heart of God and the way of God. We need the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We also need to be able to minister to God. That's kind of the purpose of our Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning, the purpose is not for people to get evangelized to, although if you don't know Jesus, I'd love to tell you about him, and we'll do so this morning. But the primary purpose of the church is to, avan- is to minister to God. The second, um, the, or the fourth axiom here is to belong to the family of God. And I want to edit a comment I made last week. I said, when you're a part of the family that you serve, when you hang out at the Anderson's house a lot, you will do the dishes. And there's lots of dishes because there were, well, at one time, were eight kids. Uh, in the family of God, you have to do the dishes. What does that mean? That means you serve. But that doesn't just simply mean that you serve in the local church. It's a good place to serve. I think it's important. But it mostly means that you serve in the kingdom, that you see the kingdom established. That's your primary uh, service orientation. Uh, Is that okay? So just correcting that from last week. Okay. So let's recap where we are. We're continuing to walk through the book of Romans. Here we are finishing up chapter 5 today. We'll obviously move on to chapter 6 next week. But remember, chapters 1 through 4 were about justification. Everybody say justification. 1 through 4 were about justification. 5 through 8 are about sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. Sanctification. So we remember 1 through 4 is really easy because 1 and 2 is like there's sin in the world, there's chaos. We're like disorienting from God's way. We don't know if it's like men or women or women or men and we're thrown into the, our lusts and sins sin, and sin. We get it. That's chapters 1 and 2. Then 3 and 4 are like, but then Jesus showed up and he justifies us. He opens the doorway for us to step into this kingdom of faith not based upon works, but based upon faith in Jesus. That's chapters 3 and 4. The picture we get is Abram. Abram to Abraham. Transformation. That's what happens to us when we come to the kingdom, transformation. And so that's chapters one through four. Now here we are, we're stepping into five through eight, we go from justification to sanctification. Church in America is fixated on justification, but they haven't moved to this second part, which is called sanctification. Sanctification is me being changed or transformed by the Spirit of God. I was listening to a a guy that lost his faith completely atheist, became an atheist. He was a doctor of theology, and he spent, I think, 15 years in studying about God, the ways of God, presuppositional epistemology, all of these kinds of really fancy forms of philosophy and theology. And at the end of it, he walked away from God completely, and he's a positive, evangelizing atheist right now. How does that happen? How does one spend 20 years pursuing God in academia academia, and come out on the other side a, a, a total and complete atheist? I think part of the way that happens is because you forget that the first step is Justification, the second step is transformation. And you, when you're not transformed into the image of Christ, but you're transformed into the image of secular academia, then you get transformed into something that is not actually like Christ. And what happened to this guy is his transformation process was not by the Spirit of God. Here's the problem. And he says this in this interview, he says, I, I learned that when I came into Christianity, like I had to try really hard and do a lot to get changed. So I would be loved and my parents had rejected me as a kid. And so I was desperate to be loved. So I was doing, 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 doing to get love. And I found out that when chaos came into my life, I was no longer accepted and no longer loved. That is not the gospel. Doing to get loved is not the gospel. We are transformed by the gospel. Sanctification is a process that happens by the Holy Spirit that changes our identity and behavior. But it's not our functional behavior that changes our internal man. It's the Spirit of God that changes who we are from the inside and our behavior begins to change on the outside. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of counseling. in my life, not just giving counseling, but receiving a lot of counseling and going through a lot of counseling. And a lot of times I would go to the counselor and I would say, I just want to change my behavior. And the counselor would say, that's not how this works. If we if you're trying to quit smoking, and we can clip off the branch of stopping smoking, it will manifest in a different branch in your life. We have to get to the root and cause of why you're doing this and why you're relying on things of the world and what pain processes you're going through and to expose those things and bring them to the feet of Christ so transformation can happen because you can clip fruit all day long and miss transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And homeboy left his faith because he was never transformed. He was never sanctified. In Christianity... Sanctification, change transformation doesn 't happen by trying now there are communities of faith approximately that you go to, and there 's no change at all there 's no transformation at all and it 's an indicator that it 's not a true it 's not true engagement with the Spirit of God. true engagement with the spirit of God we 're justified by faith in Christ Jesus, and then when we 're with Jesus, we live in a brand new ecosystem where we begin to change and that 's what we 're going to talk about. This week, so 5:12. It starts with this word, therefore, and when you see a therefore, you got to know what it's. Oh man, who said that loud? Josh, thank you so much. That warmed the cockles of my heart. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. It's actually a really weird therefore because. Um, I'm going to tell you what it's there there for in a second, but it doesn't make sense because it says this, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, this is the way death came to all people because all sinned. Now, listen, David, what are you talking about? I thought we were talking about sanctification. I thought we were talking about the process of change. What exactly are you talking about right now? We already did chapters one and two. I know sins throughout the whole world. I get that. We, we're, we're, on the, we're on the page here. We're morally, you know, tracking already. But it's, then it says this. It says, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. Sin was not charged against anyone's account where there was no law. That's a specific legal point here he's making. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Listen, Paul is not talking about the state of the world and sin. He's talking about the pattern of the effect of sin in the world. And he's going to contrast it with the the pattern of the effect of righteousness in the life of the believer. How many of you guys know what the second law of thermodynamics is? Systems break down, things break down. If you have a brand new, beautiful, amazing car, you get it from the lot today and you leave it out in a field, what will happen to it? It will break down, all natural things, erode. They break down. That's the kind of world we live in. The second law of thermodynamics applies at all times. If you're breathing, you're breaking down. If you're living, there's parts of your body that's breaking down. Your skin cells are dying and regenerating. That's how the world is. That's where we live. And it's not only just these natural systems like this thing is corroding at some kind of you know, uh, uh, atomic level. That's certainly happening. But the systems of man break down. Political systems break down. Relationships break down. Yo, if you have a marriage that's in great shape, you have to intentionally work on that marriage to keep it in great shape. Right? You have a body that's 25 years old and in great shape. Trust me, my friend, at 42, if you don't keep working on that thing, it will break down. It will naturally swell. (laughs) Law of thermodynamics applies all over the world, and it's a pattern. And look at what Paul says. The sin, as it flowed through Adam, it, he was a pattern of what is to come. In sin, it was a pattern of what it, what is to come. There's, there's sin in political systems. Um, One of my favorite political writers is George Orwell. Has anybody heard of 1984? That famous book that was written in 1948. Isn't that wild? It's a great. It's like writing a book right now, titled 2032 and 2023, and just to pretend you're cool and smart, you title it that. He wrote a book called Animal Farm, and in Animal Farm, he these pigs. They, they hijack uh, Farmer Jones, and they boot him, and the pigs are the clever ones. They're smart animals. So they're shown as the kind of le- leaders. They become tyrants. They write on the wall the rules of the animal farm. And uh, four, four feet good, or four, four feet good, two feet bad. And you can't sleep in the bed that man sleeps in. You can't eat the food man sleeps in uh, you eats. You can't wear the clothes man wears. And then they start to change the rules. They change the rules randomly, really, for the attraction of power, to continue to gain more power. And Orwell's writing about the breakdown of political systems. And one of the ways the systems break down is the rule of law is disregarded. And instead of applying the law equally across all sectors of society, it gets applied just to my political enemies. And so, for instance, my father-in-law, he was arrested and sent to federal prison because he was um, praying for uh, women that were going to get abortions in the early 90s. It was a trespass charge. Have you ever trespassed? You ever go like to a, a parking lot you're not supposed to be in? Guess what they don't do? They don't put you in federal prison for going to a parking lot you're not supposed to be in. That's called inequitable application of the law. That's called tyranny of political process to attack your political enemies. It's a breakdown that happens because sin is in the world and political system down. It's actually exactly what's happening right now. Um, in 2021, uh, our district attorney said that we were no longer going to prosecute any sexual uh, or any prostitution cases Sexual transactions, it's called sex work, and by the left now, it's not called prostitution anymore. Um, that's, that's now a bad word. And so they stopped prosecuting all of those cases. The, the DA's office said Saturday morning that they were going to arrest Donald Trump, uh, and the, the charge looks like it's going to be on a prostitution charge. They haven't filed a prostitution charge against anyone in years in New York City. Why would they do that? Well, because it's, it's the tyrannical application of laws to attack your political opponents. Every time there's a political system where tyrants start to rule, they change the legal system to destroy their political opponents. Now listen, prostitution is bad. I actually think it should be illegal and people should go get penalized for doing that. I'm, you know, I'm on the Christian side of the aisle here. But the left doesn't believe in that anymore unless you're a political enemy. This doesn't happen only in New York City. This happens in every government for the history of man because sin has a pattern and a similar way of breaking down systems for the history of mankind. That's why uh, my favorite historical book is a book called The Lessons of History by Will and Ariel Durant. And they spent their life writing about every. History. Oh, the the written history of all the peoples from uh, the beginning of time, the beginning of written history to um, Napoleon. And they said all of these processes happen over and over again. Sin has a pattern. Righteousness also has a pattern. Sin, in its natural state, breaks down, tears apart, destroys all things, and human beings... Inside of the state of sin, the nature of sin, breakdown, relationships are destroyed, finances are destroyed, sickness comes into your life, depression exists. That's the default state of nature in sin. But for the believer, remember we're talking about the process of change. Why is Paul talking about the default state of nature with sin? The default state of nature for the believer is a state of regeneration and righteousness. The state of the unbeliever outside of Christ is is destruction, decomposition of the soul of all systems. For the believer, it's regeneration and righteousness. Just like sin spread through Adam to the entire world that creates a default state of brokenness, Righteousness spreads through Christ Jesus to every believer to create a default state of peace and joy and goodness and righteousness. The thing about political systems is we create laws. That's why we have the separation of powers. We create laws to try to stem the spreading of darkness. That's what laws are for. They're to hold back the tide of darkness. Now, it works the same way in the systems of darkness as it does in the kingdom of heaven. The only thing that can stop the spreading of righteousness are affirmative acts of the believer. And so the state for the believer, when we come to Christ and we're regenerated and we're renewed and we're restored, righteousness naturally spreads in relationship to Christ unless we do things that damage the natural spreading of righteousness. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about universal patterns that exist in Adam and universal patterns that exist in Christ. Philippians chapter 8, it says this, More than that, I count all these things as loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, excuse me, this is Philippians 1, chapter 8 and 9. 9 says, And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so. Paul was talking about the state of nature in contrast to the state of nature in Christ Jesus. And he's saying this is what it's actually like. Verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man overflow to many? Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man... How much more will those who receive these two things, God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? How many people have seen the Outlast show? It's the new show that's just on fire on Netflix. Anybody else? Nobody? Only, only, I'm the only sinner here in this room? Great, fantastic. Well, I'll tell you all about it. Outlast is a survival show. It's like Survivor except people drop down on this island in Alaska and they join into teams of four. There's four teams of four. And there's certain sets of provisions there that they kind of all scramble to grab. They go back to their little camp, their base camps. If you don't know this, like if you're trying to set up camp, you need water, you need shelter, and you need food. That's how you survive in this world. Okay, got that? Like, you gotta get water right away, because if you don't have water within 48 hours, humans die without water. You need shelter, or else you probably freeze to death. But if it's the summertime, you know, you can last a little bit. Water, shelter, and then finally food. Humans can go, you know, depends how how, um, much energy you have stored around your waistline, but humans can generally go about 40 days on average. Uh, The average human can go 40 days without any food at all. Um, They show up here, they land... They have these provisions, and they go to their camp. They set up their camp. The boys and I are watching it. Bethany watched it with us last week. And this girl takes this metal cup she's walking around, and she walks to the river. They're looking for water. It's the first thing you need to find when you're survivaling. I know this is important if you ever found yourself in Central Park. You know, it's like, um, she takes her cup, and she scoops it in the river, and she just takes a drink right out of the river. And me and the boys are like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to die. You can't just take a cup in the wilderness and scoop it in the river and drink it. There's wild animals in the water. They think it's their, their like pool and their toilet at the same time. It's not a good place to drink the water from. There is a thing called beaver fever. Have you ever heard of that? Who's heard of beaver fever? You guys got to get outside more. Beaver fever is real. It's to be feared. You got to watch out for beaver fever. My cousin called me one day. He was on a rafting trip. Uh, when he, we were in high school, he's like, dude, I was rafting. I got a big mouth full of water. And I got beaver fever. I'm like, wow, that is like, you got to, that's dangerous. Beavers are out there poisoning the water stream, trying to kill people, get them off the rafts, trying to destroy them. And... um, You know, I was thinking, this is tangential, but I was thinking about the believer that just dunks its head in the river of culture and drinks from it, thinking nothing bad will happen to me. Beaver fever is a real thing. It's a hilarious thing to say. You can try to say it yourself, beaver fever. (laughs) Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that great? (laughs) There's microbes that you can't see in the water that get in your body and make you very, very ill. You stick your head in the river of culture and you just drink free, freely from it. There are ideologies and thoughts and demonic ideas that are set up against the kingdom of God that get into your system and poison you. And you need to get a helicopter to lift you out of there. And we drink freely. Now, in the in the show, the gal and the team is... Pro- They are given a set of provisions to survive the wild. What you do in the wild with water you get from a stream is you boil it to kill the impurities because you can't just drink any water. In the kingdom of heaven, it's very much the same way. We are we enter this new relationship where we're justified by Jesus, and now we're walking around in the kingdom, but you can't just eat or drink anything. You have to take the provisions that have been given you by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to filter and process the things you consume, or you will be harmed. Paul is saying there's a sanctification process that has happened, a natural regenerative process where change begins to take place on the inside of you naturally as the fundamental state of nature. The first way it happens is by understanding that you are equipped, you are given certain provisions. This first provision is called the grace of God. This word grace in the Greek is charis. It means blessing or gratitude or favor or kindness. It means unmerited favor. That's the standard pastoral definition is God's unmerited favor for you. Sometimes you hear a definition so much and you don't you kind of forget the meaning. Um, There's a story where C.S. Lewis was at a Congress, a meeting of all these intellectuals. They were arguing and debating about Christianity versus Islam, versus Sikhism or Buddhism or all of these different kind of forms of religion. And they were arguing at this one particular evening about what is the defining and distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. Is it justice? Is that what makes Christianity special? And they said, no, it's not justice because, you know, the Muslims have justice. If you steal something, you get your hand chopped off. Like, they get it. Justice, they understand justice. Is it kindness? No, the Buddhists, they have kindness. You know, they don't even eat cows because they're so kind to the animals. That's why it's all vegetarian curry. You know, they understand kindness. It's not just Christians that understand kindness. It's not just Christians that understand justice. And C.S. Lewis, he steps into this room where this... You know, it's a cacophony of a conversation happens, and he says, Whoa, 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 I know, it's easy. The defining characteristic of Christianity is grace. It's that in Christ, you have unmerited favor with God. What is that word, favor? You're God's favorite. It doesn't feel like that. We don't think that way because we think, Wrong about sanctification. We think if I work hard enough, then I will be God's favorite. But in Christ Jesus, the natural state of affairs, just like in Adam, the natural state of affairs is sin and curse. In Christ Jesus, the natural state of affairs is you are God's favorite. I have this dude, a good friend of mine. Um, his name's John Michael, and he's got a great head of hair, and I love great heads of hair. It's one of my favorite things. He's got a great, great beard. I, you know? If you lose it, you love it. I know how it feels. And uh, he's an Italian. I love the Italians. My family's Italian. I love those people. I love the calamari, the gabagool. You know, I love it all. Um... I love that they, you know, my mom used, used to use Italian names on foods as a kid to confuse us. Have you ever told you the story? I was in the store one time, and she's like, go get the regot. And I'm like, okay. As I go to the cheese area, and I'm looking for the rougat. And I'm like, there's no rougat here. So I go back, I'm like, there's no rougat here. And she's like, yes, there is, you idiot. And I'm like, I can read. I'm 14. There's no rougat here. <laughs> She takes me back over and she picks up a, a, a can, it's not a can, it's a thing, a, a plastic thing, of a cheese called ricotta. This is what we call it in America, ricotta. We, we, we don't live in Italy right now, you know? And she's like, it's right here, you idiot. And I remember being so angry at the universe in that moment. And I was like, it doesn't say ricotta anywhere. I love Italians, that's... Um, John Michael is a guy I love so much. When I see him, my heart gets excited. I would cut off this little piece of my pinky for John Michael Roberto. That's how much I love him. I'm not even kidding. I would give him that piece of my pinky. He's one of my favorite people in northern New Jersey. (laughs) Can you imagine... For a moment, a friend of yours, like that you haven't seen for a while, that you see that guy walking down the sidewalk and your heart would leap inside of you. Can you imagine just for a second, like that guy, you know, that person that's just your favorite? You guys have great conversations, you sink, like you're right away, you're hilarious together, like you're just a great couple. They should have a reality show that follows you around, like that level connection. Can you imagine that kind of warmth of feeling that you have towards that person that isn't it so fun to bless a person like that? Isn't it so fun to give them things? Isn't it just like a blast? Can you imagine that when you walk down the street, God thinks of you that way? That is the fundamental state of nature in Christ Jesus. The fundamental state of nature is not sin. It's not brokenness. It's not disease. It's abundant provision of grace, which means the favor of God. For the stuff you need, the connections you need, the places you need, what if in fact there was a being that created the universe? What if in fact there was? What if in fact that being was a personal being? What if in fact that being looked upon you with unbelievable favor? And when you walked down the street, that being was like, gosh, I love that Zane. I love that tall, gangly Zane. Look at him gangle. Look at him gangling down the sidewalk. I love that gangle. But we're, we're designed just because naturally how we brought up when we do good, you know, the people in charge of us, whether it's our teachers or our coaches or our parents or whoever, when we do good, those people are happy. And when we do bad, those people are sad. Or if you have a wacky background, those people get very angry, right? And so you grow up with this context that the fundamental state of the world is if I do good, I have the favor of God. If I do bad, I have the frustration of heaven directed towards me. That is not the state of nature for believers. As fundamental as sickness and death and sin and cancer and disease are in this world, That's how fundamental the favor of God is always directed towards you in Christ Jesus. It's abundant. It's the abundant provision. Is that amazing? Yes, that's amazing, Pastor. I don't understand it. I don't really believe it, but if you say so, okay, maybe. Okay, the second part is the the grace. Let's read this. For the trespass of one, death reigned throughout the one man. How much more about will those who receive God's one, abundant provision of grace, and two, the gift of righteousness... As a 17-year-old, I was a roofer for one summer in 1998, and I made $5.15 an hour. And upstate New York, it's like 200 degrees in the summer, and the humidity is 150 at all times, and they paid me, after taxes, it's like literally $4 an hour, to carry shingles up a ladder all day long, like a slave in the F- Prince of Egypt movie. And I'm, that's me all summer. At the end of the day, you get like 27 and a $27.50 for your slave labor. And I remember just thinking like how is this possible? How is this legal that I'm getting $27 for this kind of labor all day long? And the I, re, I remember when before I showed up everyone was getting paid under the books. So they're making like a whopping $34 an hour a day and that's that's gold mine, you know, <laughs> compared to 27. And as soon as I showed up the boss was like, "Now nah, you got to be on the books." I'm like, "What do you mean?" After taxes, it's $3.75 an hour. It's not like I grew up in the 50s, you guys. This was not that long ago. (laughs) That was not a gift from my boss. Those were my wages. That was not a gift. In Christ Jesus, righteousness does not come to you by your wages, by your work. It comes by a gift. Many Christians, because they don't understand repentance, forgiveness, this process of I sinned and then I say, okay, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, God, I screwed this one up today. I, you know, jump kicked somebody that I wasn't supposed to and I seriously ask you to forgive me, cleanse my heart, wash me. I ask the Holy Spirit to regenerate my heart. I receive your forgiveness right now because Christians don't walk in that kind of pattern. They walk in a pattern where they sin and then they try to work really hard to stand back in the righteousness of God. But righteousness was never something you ever earned anyway. It was always a gift. And actually, the process of confession and repentance is a regenerative process. It's what brings us life and refreshing and peace. Holding that in and saying, God, you know, this, what I did really was really bad. It's really bad. I can't bring it up to you. I can't talk about it with you. I'm just going to hold it down on the inside. It starts to break out in other forms of sin. Because our heart is screaming, please release this thing. And that pain... And that antagonism inside of the heart, that indicator light that's blaring inside the dashboard of your soul is saying, this needs to get out. And God created a way for it to get out. And that's through confession and repentance. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Paul reiterates the church in Corinthians, this is how the transformation process happens. With God, in the presence of God, in the face of God, not by you white knuckling it. Now, here's the thing about the gift. The gift must be opened. The gift that must be unwrapped. If I give you a gift and you leave it under the Christmas tree and you ignore it, it's not going to do you any good at all. It's worthless if you don't take it and open it. And there's areas in our lives where we say, Well, man, if it's a gift of God, why haven't I why you know, why is this air pattern of sin still in my life? And oftentimes, we have to pursue the gift of righteousness that God gave us. When I was a young man, there was a pattern of sin where I looked at filthy images in a pattern way. And I was like, you know what, God, you've given me a gift of righteousness. I'm not going to live in these patterns anymore. And guess what I did? I prayed with a brother, not my physical brother, but a brother in the Lord every day, literally five days a week for nine months, praying over this area. God, I want to walk in purity. God, I don't want to be a young man that walks a slave to the lusts of my eyes, my eyes flying all over the place with no control. God changed the patterns in my life. And nine months, something changed in my life. It lifted off of me. And since that moment, I've never been the same again. That doesn't mean, obviously, there's, we as humans don't have fleeting temptation. I've never again walked in patterns of that kind of sin because righteousness comes as a gift. It doesn't come by white-knuckling it. And if you're walking in patterns, pray with a brother. Get in a Christian program. Freedom is accessible to the believer. Amen? Amen. Check this out. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little fox. Fox, that's me. Little flock. (laughs) Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. I like the New King James Version. It says, it's your father's good pleasure to release to you the kingdom of God. So in the state of nature, in the state of sin, how it was for Adam, sin naturally and automatically spreads through all systems, through political systems, through physical systems, through all of these different processes. But in Christ, righteousness spreads the same automatic way. This is how it starts. We're given a provision of grace. Secondarily, we're gifted righteousness. And what's it for? And this is important because a lot of times as Christians we think, well, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your gifts. I'll get them in heaven. Right now I'm going to continue to struggle with sin. I'm still going to have same-sex attraction forever. I'm still going to whatever. Paul says, I want you to know specifically it's for you to reign in life. Not in death, not in the hereafter. This is the thing about sin. Sin is applicable here, now, in this life. In the same way, that was through Adam. In the same way through Christ, righteousness and transformation is accessible in this very life. Ooh. Isaiah 9, six says this. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end and he will reign over the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness. From that time, AD 33, Christ died and rose again. From that time, forevermore, there Will be an increase of his government and peace. We live in a theological culture that says we're all getting raptured. You know, I heard a very famous preacher say, the story ends poorly for us. Like, just, I love you, just die and go to heaven already. Just, just, I love you dearly. Just fall asleep in your sleep forever. This is not a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is the increase of his peace and government. There's no end on this earth. Globally, Christianity is winning in spades, massively. Now, because this theology has crept into the church and we believe we're gonna get raptured and we have nothing to do with it, we've given up these massive positions of power. So right now, you know, Attorney General Letitia James is hosting a transgender story hour at the library, because that's what we want our Attorney Generals doing in New York. That's what we want them doing. Why are they doing that? Because the believers have fallen prey to the stupid theology that it's not what Paul says to reign in this life. We think it's only to reign in the hereafter. But no, that's not the case. The case is that we're provisioned. We're protected from beaver fever. We're provisioned with the grace of God. We're given the gift of righteousness that transforms us. And we're called to reign here in this life. Pastor, what are we reigning over? We're reigning over death and sin and bondage and sickness. We're reigning over wrong identities. We're reigning over wrong ways of behaving and believing. We're reigning in our finances. We're reigning in our families. It starts with reigning in our hearts, that the parts that are unruly, the parts are, that are the enemy's territory inside of our hearts. We start by reigning in those parts, and then we move from there to reigning in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our city, in our country, and so on and so forth. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts as the smallest seed in the garden and then grows to take over the entire garden. It starts with the garden of our heart. The natural state of Christianity for the believer is not a thermodynamic state of entropy where things are breaking down. It's a natural state of regeneration. So if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm struggling because I'm still dealing with XYZ sin. Listen to me stay in Christ and you'll be regenerated. Stay in the natural state of the believer and you'll be regenerated. Stay out of Christ and entropy will take its hold. Like the theologian that I mentioned at the beginning of the story, he leaves the opinions of Christianity to wrangle with secular philosophy. He leaves... Existing and being found and finding his sustenance and identity in Christ, he searches it for it elsewhere and loses his very salvation. Church, stand up with me for a moment. Mark 10 29, Jesus says this Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold in this present age. Not in simply the age to come. Following Jesus is not a game. It's not a joke. It's not easy often. It's leaving the systems of this world, relationships, finances, all kinds of stuff, and saying, God, I submit my entire life, my entire world to you. And Jesus says, you don't just get paid off in the pie in the sky. That's a lie about the pie in the sky. It was funny. That was really funny. The kingdom of God is applicable here and now. The fundamental state for the believer is you are God's favorite. He grants you the gift of righteousness. You are God's favorite. He grants you the gifts of righteousness. In that state, just breathing and living in that state regenerates and transforms people from broken, deformed creatures living under the reign of sin to transformed, living, breathing vibrant children of god amen amen hey thanks for listening to today's podcast acts 2027 20, says for i have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel Of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world. So believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.